Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Burgess Hill. This message is by Kevin Vanderput. Cool. Do you remember two weeks ago? I think this is what broke this table. It's me doing this. Uh, but it's back. So um, there you go. That's called provision. Two weeks ago, we talked about um, Esther and how she answered this call of God on her life, how she laid down everything to see the Jews not be completely destroyed. And she came to this conclusion that if I perish, I perish, but not on my watch. No, I won't watch all those innocent people die without me doing something about it. And it's, it's kind of set, I think, the, like a, a bigger theme for, for this year. There's something that God has been working in our hearts about the lost, about crying out for the lost, about just the, the bigger purpose of why we're here. We are not here for ourselves. And we've seen that through the time of prayer and fasting and the encounters. If you've been there in Horsham this week or the past weeks, it's really been that theme constantly coming out in different ways. People from the church have had different pictures and visions and just scriptures that God has laid on their hearts. And it's all been centered on, yes, it's great to be blessed by God, but we are blessed so that we can become a blessing to others. And then last week, uh, we heard about what that mission actually looks like for all of us, this great call to arms, this search and rescue mission that we are on a search and rescue mission for those lost people. And God gave us this uh, picture uh, as a church, like Kingdom Faith was this big armada of ships, these warships, but that also have space to carry people on them and how we are all as this armada sailing towards the lost. And so after this three weeks of of fasting, just as Sabrina was brilliantly uh, describing, it's not the end of something. Yes, we're celebrating the, maybe the end of not eating (laughs) as such uh, together afterwards with the cakes and things, but it's not so much the end of something because God has been moving us into something new as a church. And I think we can all feel it. The encounters had a different feel. It's been such a team effort, everybody involved and just there's something stirring there. And so those three weeks have then launched us into the rest of the years. It's a, it's a new beginning. It's like that armada of ship of ships has now left the, the harbor. They, they've left the docks and we are sailing towards something, right? So it's the beginning really of what God wants to do in us this year and in the years to come. And um, to see a bit more of that and explain more of what God wants to do, uh, I want us to look at some key figures of the Old Testament today. Uh, And uh, because we talked about Esther uh, two weeks ago and how she protected the Jews at one point. But guess what? It wasn't just her that stepped up to the plate. It wasn't just her that was involved, but actually there was a whole movement, people that God raised up to see a change in society back then, to see people turn back to him. So if you, a bit of background, a bit bit of like setting the scene, the Israelites were in exile in Babylon for years, right? They just uh, were there and then... um, Some of them have now returned from that exile to Jerusalem, 
But Jerusalem is not like it once was. It's not this beautiful city. It's actually lying in ruins, right? Uh, there's no wall. There's no temple. There's no nothing. There's just people going back there because they feel that urge from God to go back. And then we're introduced to this other guy, not Esther, this other guy called Nehemiah. And so I want to pick up from, there's actually a book after his name in the Bible, it's called Nehemiah. Uh, and so we, we're going to pick up from there uh, in chapter one today. And uh, I think we can take a lot of clues from his life and the way he laid his life down to see people turn back to the purposes of God. Because we heard last week that that's why we're here. We're here to see this tide of a lost society turned around, right? We're here to see those people that are lost, they're kind of in exile, just like the Israelites were back then, turn back to God. And so Nehemiah's going about his daily business, right? He's not a pastor. He's not a leader in the church. He's what we called back then a cup bearer for the king. Oh, you're like, oh, the heck is that? Well, a cup bearer to the king, talk about living on the edge, right? His job was to drink whatever was going to be drank by the king to make sure it wasn't poison. So he's, it's a Tuesday morning, right? Let's have a bit of a drink. Nehemiah goes, you never know. Tuesday morning, one sip, he might be gone. That, that was his job. Like, you, you might die. His job was to test everything that was to be drank, drank by the king first to see that it wasn't poisoned. So Nehemiah knew a bit about living on the edge of things, right? He never knew when was it going to be his last day. So we pick up in chapter one. Let's read together. It's going to appear on the screen. There you go. If you have your Bible, pick it up in Nehemiah one. It says, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Remember Susa two weeks ago? Esther, she was in Susa. She saved all the Jews in Susa. See how it's all related. I love the Bible. Man, these things get me excited. Right, so they're in Susa. Huh. Uh, what a coincidence. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile are now back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I am praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins of the Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then... Even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this servant, of, 
of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. So what do we notice here? It's a bit of a, of a long bit, but what is Nehemiah actually doing? He's standing in the gap for the people of Israel. He's saying, God, forgive them. Forgive them of the wickedness. Forgive them of this and forgive me for what I've done. But God, I can't stand here and see Jerusalem falling apart with those walls broken down without doing something about it. So just like Esther did, Nehemiah received this report, right? He's, his brother comes back and uh, says, look, mate, it's not looking good in Jerusalem. We've got to do something about it. And so remember how we said that we received the report as well, this letter that uh, someone, well, letter that someone received through um, a, a dream that she had, that God was giving us this status about uh, what the towns looked like and the region looked like. And that rep, that report, that report stirred something in him, just as it should in us. And the first thing Nehemiah does as a result, he goes on his knees and he fasts and he prays day and night. And we've been fasting and we've been praying day and night. And we see in the results of that. If we keep reading the story, we can clearly see that God just worked on Nehemiah's heart. In that time of prayer, God lays something on him and he says, God, you need to grant me success in this because I know it's impossible to go for me to even go out of what I'm doing as I'm a cupbearer to the king and go rebuild that wall. So Nehemiah walks out of that time of praying and fasting with a strategy, with something that God laid on his heart. He knew that for him laying his life down like we've been talking about looked like living, leaving everything he knew, the position he had, his job, his surroundings, leaving all of that to go build the wall, to go rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. So Nehemiah wasn't just going about his daily business like anyone. He was going about it carrying something in his heart, just like we all need to carry something daily in our heart. And he was praying into it and waiting for God's opportunity to move. And I believe God wants us to give, wants to give us a strategy. If we're this armada of ships sailing together, made of multiple little ships that represents all your life. There's a practical working that we need to figure out for each of us as well. So let's keep reading. In chapter 2 it says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, what names, man, uh, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine, remember he needs to drink it first to test it for the king, So, but don't worry, he lives. I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Notice how it says, I was very much afraid. I've only noticed this just now. But so often, right, we want to 
step up to the plate, share our faith, share whatever God has laid on our heart. And there's that thing that just rises up right before, like, <gasps> like what's going to happen? But even though he was afraid, even though he was like, oh, it's the king and now's my moment, I have to step up. He did say what he had to say. He did. And then we see he was granted favor. So I, th- I find it's very interesting. Great. So I was very much afraid, but I said to the king what he said. The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah, where my, to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you be back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates? That's it. So that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent my army officers and cavalry with me. Thank you, Jesus. So, very interesting again, like you can just see the favor he had. The king is leaving his main guy that tests all his drinks to leave. That means, I mean, he can probably find somewhere else, but it's a sacrifice for the king. It's surprising that the king says, just go, you have my blessing. But remember how I said, while he spent time in prayer and fasting, God gave him a strategy. He was ready. When the king asked him, what do you want? He wasn't like, oh, wait, what, what do I, I need to rebuild the wall, but what do I I don't know what I want. I don't know what. No, he had a plan. He knew exactly what to say. I need a letter from you that gives me authority to go through all those territories that will get me into Judah. I need another letter from you that gives me the authority to go get all the timber in the forest that I need to to have the materials to rebuild the wall. Nehemiah knew exactly what he needed to accomplish his mission. And in those times of praying and fasting, I believe God wants to, and as we continue praying, God wants to develop that in us, this strategy of, hey, this is what it looks like for you. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to answer when asked the question or when the opportunity comes. This is the step you need to take so that my purpose unfolds. And so Nehemiah had this favor, the king even sends men with him. Go, go, take some army. Just go and do what you got to do. So Nehemiah had God's favor with him. So he answers that everything is lying in ruins. And the king tells him, go and rebuild it. And once arrived in Jerusalem... People start helping Nehemiah. Everyone gets involved. It's funny because you think again, like, I'm a man that no one knows. I'm coming, I'm saying, let's rebuild the wall. And people could look at me being like, you're crazy. Like, this is just 
too big of a task. Like we can't, there's only a few of us. We can't re- remember, like most of the people are still with Esther in Susa. Like it, they, 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 they're there, they've been saved, but they haven't returned to Jerusalem. So there's only a handful of people, maybe more than a handful, but there's, there's only a few people there. They could have looked at him and be like, you're completely mad. But the word actually says that once arrived in Jerusalem, everybody got involved with Nehemiah. And then opposition rises. They're mocked by the people surrounding Jerusalem, all the other nations, all the other people. And we see this verse in chapter 4 that says, When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates, the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer the sacrifice? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. Now that's some, like, they've been burned, you know, like old school. Um, So they're basically saying, look, whatever you're trying to do, it's not going to work. Like, you can't rebuild that wall. Like, they're watching from a distance saying, oh, those Jews, they're mad. Like, they're never going to be able to rebuild that wall. So they find themselves against all odds, right? And that's the title of our message today, against all odds, because the task looked impossible. They knew in the natural, we cannot rebuild this wall. But they also knew one thing that switches around everything. God was with them. And you know what? It only takes one person of faith, one person to believe and to stir everybody on. It's contagious. If you have one person that's there and that person was Nehemiah, who had the word of the Lord that he had been carrying in his heart and said, hey, we're going to rebuild this wall because I have God's favor and he's given me favor before the king and I have the materials. So we are going to do this and it's going to work because God is with us. It only takes one person of faith to believe that word for it to spread all over the place. And so there's this verse in chapter 2 that says, Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and the king and what the king had said to me. They replied, let's start the rebuilding. So they began this good work. Essentially, Nehemiah gave the best halftime speech ever. He's like Frank Lampard with Chelsea. He was like, come on, boys, we can do this. We can come back four goals down. Doesn't matter. Can you imagine that? I imagine them all in the, in, the, in the locker room or whatever. And like Nehemiah's there, we can do this. And they're like, yeah, let's rebuild the wall. That's exactly how it happened. Maybe KF should start making movies. Um, so he said, we can't have this lying runes any longer. We have God on our side and that's all that matters. We have the favor of the king with us. Let's start rebuilding. And when you look at us, you could easily think we're against all odds. All odds are against us. What can we do in the natural? But God has spoken and he's laid something on our hearts, something that we are carrying every day. We're no longer going about 
our daily business in Burgess Hill the same way. We're carrying something in our hearts. And yes, Burgess Hill lies in ruins, but we're here to rebuild the town. We're here to turn the tide of a godless society. And you know, the enemy's there. He's wanting us to believe this lie that only 15 of you, 20 of you, what difference is going to make? There's 30,000 of them. But we have God with us, just like Nehemiah did. And he's stirring something within us. Throughout this whole fast, stirring that fire, that faith, the fire of the Holy Spirit. Faith is rising and we are here to stay. And we're declaring we are doing this. And just after halftime, we all go out, we're rebuilding the walls. <laughs> but there's something else I want us to notice. In chapter 3, it says, next was Uziel. So they've started rebuilding that wall, yeah? They're giving it the best shot. Next was Uziel, son of Hernaria, a goldsmith by trade who also worked on the wall. Beyond him was Hanania, a manufacturer of perfumes. They left out a section of Jerusalem as they built the broad wall. So they've, they imagine they're all kind of in a line, yeah? All taking up a section, family by family. But what's very interesting is that everybody got involved. I told you that in the beginning. One was a goldsmith by trade. One was a manufacturer of perfume. They weren't professional bridge, uh, professional wall builders. Like the guy was dealing with perfumes. And the next day, they left their jobs. They left everything on the side because they said, hey, we're going to rebuild this wall, whatever it takes. Me and my family, we're getting involved. We're sowing our lives so that we can finally see this thing happening. Whatever it takes and whoever you are, you have a part to play in this. Everyone got involved. Everyone answered the call. Everyone there took part so that the walls of Jerusalem would be rebuilt. They worked night and day. They left their jobs, their trades to build the wall. How crazy does it seem? But that's important it was to them. Something resounded in their hearts. They were not on my watch. Will I leave this city like this? I'm going to be part of the change, of the turning of the tide. And that's what we need to come to this conclusion. Not on my watch will this city lie in ruins. Will this town and this region lie in ruins? And then opposition comes again. It's funny, isn't it? Every time there's the best halftime speech, there's more opposition that comes after. And so we keep reading in chapter 4, verse 14 to 23, it says, and then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. When your enemies heard that we knew of their plan and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to work on the wall. But from then on, only half my man worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had swords belted on their side. The trumpeteers stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it's sounding, then our God will fight for us. 
We worked early and late from sunrise to sunset and half the men were always on guard. I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way they and their servant could help with guard duty at night and work during the day. During this time, not one of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me ever took off our clothes. We carry our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for waters. The commitment to the mission of these guys, the enemies came, but they knew, again, they said, God will fight for us. God will fight for us. But they took the call. They put people on guard half the time while the others were working. When the others weren't working, they were on guard. When you think about it, the whole project becomes even crazier because now they got only half the people they had to rebuild this wall because the other half is watching for the enemy. But God was with them. But it also meant they all became watchmen and they all became workmen. Each of them was watching during the night on the wall, on the gate, and working during the day. And God is calling us to do the same. We've started those night watches. We're starting to, to, be, to be stirred to become this 24-7 house of prayer and worship. God's launched us that way into the year, and there's a reason for that. We're not going to turn back now into the harbor, as I said earlier. We're not going to turn in back now into the docks. We've set sails with the Holy Spirit blowing in our sails. We go in that direction. We're called to be watchmen and workmen. Watchmen, we're called to pray. We're called to pray. I'm not saying everybody has to pray at night. Some of us have to take up that call, but God will speak to you clearly. Some of you, your watch can be in the day. When you're done with work, before going to work, at work, what do I know? We all have a watch to take. We all have to take part. We have to watch over Burgess Hill, watch over these walls. We put on our armor and fight this spiritual battle. We are watchmen. Actually, there's this incredible verse uh, Pastor Gary showed me this week. Pastor Gary is a man of wisdom. It's in Lamentations 2.19 and it says, Arise, cry out in the night as the watches of the night begin. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint from hunger at every street corner. That's powerful. How serious is that call from God for us to watch Watch over the lives of the people who don't have a clue, who are starving spiritually, maybe physically on the side of every street. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of God. In the hours of the night, lift them up. We need to take that call of being a watchman seriously because our battle is not against flesh and blood. And we know that. I know we know that. It's a spiritual one. We also call to be workmen, watchmen and workmen. Everybody watched, everybody worked on the wall. So we call to be workmen. We all have to have an outworking to our prayer, a going to what we do in the prayer room, a practical side to this laying down of our lives. For these guys, it looked like building this wall. For us, it might look different. 
It might look like going to work or being more intentional about the way we go about our day. But Nehemiah, wherever he found himself, was carrying this thing in his, in his guts. He was carrying it inside. He wasn't just walking about endlessly. But remember how I said, it wasn't just Esther. It's not just Nehemiah. There was a whole movement of them at the time. I want to show you a timeline of a hundred, about a hundred odd years around that time. And actually, this, if, if you want to look into it, it's amazing what God says in the Bible at that time. So Ezra and Nehemiah in our Bibles are two different books. But the, in the original, when it was first written, they were one and the same. Because Ezra and Nehemiah lived at the same period of time. But it wasn't just them. Before them, about 60 years, uh, came Zerubbabel. See the name here on the left? Zerubbabel led 5,000 back to Jerusalem. So he was the first. He took up that call, laid down his life, and he didn't feel he had to build a wall. He felt like, I need to take a bunch of people and lead them back to Jerusalem. They need someone that starts the movement. So he took up that call. He went out in the unknown, leading 50,000 people back into Jerusalem. So then when Nehemiah comes... And he shows up saying, I'm going to build the wall. Those 50,000 are the handful I was talking about that take up the building of the wall. But it wasn't just Zerubbabel. Then there was Ezra that lived at the same time as Nehemiah. And he didn't feel the call to build the wall. But God laid on his heart to build back the temple. We need to build the temple again so that people can come and worship me. So that people can come and pray to me. So he used his time, laid down his life and brick by brick they rebuilt the temple and guess what if you read the book of Ezra they had just as much opposition as Nehemiah did people didn't want that temple rebuilt because they knew what it meant they knew once it's rebuilt glory of God's gonna fall Jerusalem's gonna be back on its feet and we're gonna be in trouble it's not just that. We've heard about Esther. She's right there in the middle. Became queen for Haman's plan to kill the Jews. And then we see Nehemiah comes right after to rebuild the walls. And then right down there you see Haggai. Haggai was a prophet. And we, he has a book as well. So all those within a period of like a hundred years laid down their lives to see all the Israelites come back to God, come back to prayer. And in the end, when you read it all, yes, it fails again after. It's okay. It's the Israelites. We know how the story goes. But they experience revival. They experience revival because they bring all the people back. Once the walls are built, the temple's built, they read all the laws again. People confess their sin. The glory of God comes and they, they do all the festivities, festivals, Jewish festivals, they experience revival. But it took all of those people that are on that timeline to lay down their lives the way it looked like for them practically, being a workman and a watchman, laying down their lives. I'm going to build a wall. I'm going to build the temple. I'm going to lead the people back. Haggai, I'm going to be there the whole time encouraging them with the word of the Lord. This is what God says. Come on, take it, take it up to arms, do it. And actually, there's very famous verses that, um, that Haggai said. He's the Last one I want to talk about. He wrote these verses, going to come up on the screen. But now the Lord says, 
Be strong, Zerubbabel. So he's speaking at that timeline when Zerubbabel brought back the people. Be strong, Jeshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all your people still left in the land. And now get to work, for I am with you, says the Lord of heaven armies. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So do not be afraid. See, for him, laying his life down looked like I'm going to spend my time on my knees in prayer, getting that download from God so I can release it on the people so they can keep working, they can feel encouraged, and they know they will see the victory. Do you guys want to come up? And then this verse continues. For this is what the Lord of heaven army says, and this is probably the most famous verses out of the book of Haggai. It's really short. It's two chapters, but... You've probably heard this before. For this is what the Lord of heaven army says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven armies. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven armies. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory says the Lord of the heaven armies. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of the heaven armies, have spoken. God had to say to them multiple times, guys, be strong. Keep working. Keep at it because you will see the victory. You will see the breakthrough. My spirit remains among you. And once again, I will come, shake everything up. And the glory of this temple will be greater than the former glory. And I will bring peace to this place. And God is saying to us, be strong. Do not fear. I've called you here. And here's my promise to you. I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will turn the tide of this godless society. My glory will take over your land. Everything is mine. I will bring peace to this place. And you will see the fruits of your prayers. You will see this town rebuilt. You will see this tide turn. You will see Burgess Hill transform. And the future glory of this town will be greater than the past. So people might say we're crazy. But the ships, this armada, we've left the harbor. We're moving. With the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing us in the right direction, trusting Him against all odds, we rise up. We take up our cross, we answer that call, we lay down our lives. And I believe we will see a complete turnaround in this town, in this region, in the villages, in this nation. Just like they did back then. And we all have our part to play in it. We all are part of this armada. For some of you, whatever building a wall looks like today, it might be building a wall. For some of you, it might be building the temple. For some of you, it might be bringing the people. For some of you, it might be encouraging constantly with the Word of God, with pictures, with dreams, with visions, just like we've had over the past three weeks. We have been sustained in that, in that going because people have constantly been listening to the Lord and coming with, this is what I feel God's saying. This is what I feel God's saying. 
I've got a cracking dream for next week that a person of one of the congregation has had and it is powerful. Um, we just need to get it in writing so I can share it with you next week. But you see my point. We are all in this together. We all have a part to play. And unfortunately, I wish I could tell you we all called to be watchmen and that's pretty obvious what that looks like. We've heard it enough, this standing in the gap, this praying, this interceding, in tongues, the sledgehammer that Pastor Clive talked about, this going deep in there, let that stirring up. The workmen bit, the go into our prayer, I wish I could tell you all this is exactly what it's going to look like for you and for you and for you. But I don't something for God to lay on your heart to carry just like Nehemiah did I know for Sharon and I it looked like moving here like trying to get a house like being here every Sunday like like encouraging like this building the temple that's what we we are doing building the church in Burgess Hill and you all are part of that but we all have a personal outworking to our prayers we are all called to be these workmen And say I just want to invite you all close your eyes and we're not going to get loud we're not going to get crazy but just thank God right now that you are here for such a time as this thank God and tell him I'm willing to be a watchman to be a workman a workwoman a watchwoman to stand on these walls stand against the enemy maybe you just need to ask God show me Lord what that looks like how to be a good watchman show me Lord what it looks for, like for me to be a workman what is my part in this am I bringing in the people am I rebuilding the temple am I rebuilding the walls am I going in the streets am I whatever it looks like Show me, Lord. Make it clear to me. I know you have called me here to Burgess Hill for such a time as this. And it doesn't matter if I'm here for three months, six months, my whole life. I'm going to live here fully right now because I know you have put me here on this very day for such a time as this. Show me, Lord, what it looks like. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.